There's two kinds of people today. There's those saying, I'm going to approach God my way. And then there are those who come as broken-hearted ones, who come and found their life on the rock, the cornerstone. The one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Which way is it for you? For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. God had to send His Son to this earth to provide redemption, and He did. And He offers that gospel, that good news to you today. Don't stumble over Him. Don't treat Him as a rock of offense, but realize He's the cornerstone of what God is doing. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue on our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, Israel's Unbelief. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Deuteronomy 28, when they first went into the land, starting at verse 58, if you're not careful to observe all the words of this law which are written in this book, to fear this honored and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring extraordinary plagues on you and your descendants, even severe and lasting plagues. Now remember, this is the people whom God has called out of Egypt, and they've seen plenty of His ability to bring plagues. And He says, I want you to be faithful to me. But if you're not, if you fail to remember me, I'll bring plagues on you. And down in verse 64, Moreover, the Lord will scatter you among all the peoples from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth. And there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone, which you or your fathers have not known. I'm going to scatter you, Israel, if you turn your back on me. And of course, they did. You read the Old Testament and it's a record of them turning their back on God and God scattering them with the Assyrians, the Babylonians. Uh, you think even on down to our day, uh, the terrible judgment that fell on Israel soon after Paul wrote these things in A.D. 70 under Rome and the scattering of Israel throughout the nations. But look over at Deuteronomy 30. Just turn a page over to Deuteronomy 30 and he's not done. He says, I'm going to scatter you, but I will regather you. I will regather you. Deuteronomy 30, So it shall come about when all these things have come upon you, the blessing and curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord your God has banished you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey Him with all your heart and soul, according to all that I command you today, you and your sons, then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and will have compassion on you and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are at the ends of the earth, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there He will bring you back. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. And He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Moreover, watch this, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul in order that you may live. I'll scatter you if you turn your back on me. And he knew they would. And he said, when you're scattered out in all the nations of the world, 
I will once again call you back to myself. My love will not stop for you, Israel. I will regather you. And in fact, I'll circumcise the real problem, your heart. And I'll change your heart so that you will love me with everything you've got. But it will be believing Israel that he calls back to himself. And it's yet a future day. We're going to see it in chapter 11. It's it's something that God has promised. It will not fail. It will be a gathering of believing Israel. In other words, it will be the remnant. Turn over to Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23. And listen to the words of uh, Jeremiah the prophet. This is Jeremiah speaking... Uh, right before the Babylonian captivity, part of this scattering that God would bring. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the shepherds who are tending my people, you scattered my flock and driven them away and have not attended to them. Behold, I'm about to attend to you for the evil of your deeds, declares the Lord." And Jeremiah was prophesying a message Israel didn't hear. Judah didn't want to hear. Babylon's going to come in and take us because we've turned our back on God. And he says, you shepherds, you've scattered my people from me, and I'm about to attend to you for what you've done. Then, look at verse 3, I myself shall gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I've driven them, and shall bring them back to their pasture, and they will be fruitful and multiply. I shall also raise up shepherds over them, and they will tend them, and they will not be afraid any longer, nor be terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. I'm going to regather you, Israel. And he says, I'm going to raise up a shepherd for you, a king, the righteous branch. And there's a tremendous prophecy of Messiah and uh, the return of Christ. And in his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they will no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up and led back the descendants of the household of Israel from the north land and from all the countries where I had driven, and then they will live on their own soil. There will be coming a day when we won't be talking as a nation. We won't be saying, oh, the Lord who brought us out of Egypt, but we'll be saying, oh, the Lord who brought us out of centuries of wandering from Him and centuries of stubborn unbelief who regathered us to himself. That's God's purpose for Israel, and it will not be thwarted. Now, in the meantime, God is calling out to the Gentiles. But you turn back to Romans 9 now, and you look at it, and you realize if God didn't do the saving, uh, I repeat what I've said. Were it not for God keeping a remnant, leaving a posterity, verse 29. Were it not for God doing these things, the judgment on Israel would be thorough and complete. It would be the apostasy of Israel would be thorough and complete. And they'd be like Sodom and Gomorrah. And God just brought judgment. They utterly deserved it, and He let it fall on Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, that's what you'd be, Israel, if it weren't for my mercy. 
And I just reiterate it. Remember, this is a picture of God's dealings with all of us. If we got what we deserved, judgment would fall. But praise God, He provided a Savior. Now, He's explained all these details through Romans 9, and He comes to the final section, verse 30. What shall we say then? What shall we say to all this? And as I said earlier, if this tells us how God saves or why men are saved because of God's mercy, then the last few verses show why men are lost because of sin and unbelief and specifically the crowning sin, the self-will of seeking God your own way rather than coming His way. Verse 30, what shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Now he's speaking in generalities. He's speaking here nationally because he just said that he's calling Jews and Gentiles out. But he says, by and large, as Paul looks at the situation, he'd been missionary now for, what, 30 years? And he looked around and he saw, by and large, Israel was pushing the gospel away. Oh, yes, there were some. He himself had come to the Lord. And there were many Jewish believers. But by and large, nationally, Israel was not believing. And Gentiles were. And so he describes it, verse 30 and 31, Gentiles who didn't pursue right, secularists, heathens who were ignorant of God and didn't care about God, were coming to faith in Christ. And zealots, religious zealots, who were seeking righteousness on their own, were not finding it. So he explains it. By the way, look at the end of verse 30. The Gentiles who didn't pursue righteousness attained righteousness even the righteousness which is by faith. Oh, can I underline that little phrase for you? And if you've been studying Romans, if you've been with us in Romans, it kind of brings back to mind the end of chapter 3 and chapter 4, doesn't it? The righteousness of faith. The gospel, the good news, is that God has provided righteousness through Christ for those who believe. Paul says in Philippians, I love the way he summarizes it, he said, oh, I want to be found in Christ, in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but the righteousness which is through faith in Christ. Oh, underline that. People today, maybe you, are constantly thinking that they can have a righteousness, a right standing before God by their lifestyle. And the book of Romans' whole burden has been to show, no, no, there's only one way of righteousness. It's through faith in Christ. And so when he mentions the Gentiles and the Jews here, he even just uh, mentioning them says it so well, uh, just the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel... Pursuing a law of righteousness. Notice Israel was pursuing not even righteousness, but a law of righteousness. It reminds me of Galatians when Paul said, listen, you who are always talking about the law, do you listen to the law? You know? People who tell me today, well, I just believe in the Ten Commandments. Do you listen to them? Do you believe them? Do you really read them? I'm teaching the Sermon on the Mount, you know, uh, downtown, and sometimes people will say to me, "I my religion is the Sermon on the Mount. I, I live by the Sermon. You do? 
Have you ever read it? I mean, I mean it. Israel pursuing a law of righteousness did not arrive at that righteousness. And Jesus had said this, didn't he? He said to the religious leaders of his day, listen, the tax gatherers and the harlots are going to get in before you guys. Why is that? Well, Paul is explaining it in more national uh, detail here. Gentiles who were in gross sin, tax gatherers, harlots, you know, the, the nations, who took their place as sinners found righteousness in Christ. And self-righteous Israel, pursuing righteousness as if you could attain it by keeping law, missed it. Why? Verse 32, because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. Why is it that anyone's lost? Why is it that Israel was not finding righteousness? Notice what he doesn't say here. He doesn't say, well, it's because of non-election. Oh, no. Ah. He says, why didn't they find it? Because they pursued it as though it were by works instead of faith. They tried to come to God their own way rather than coming to God His way through Jesus Christ. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. Oh, what a, what a phrase. Jesus Christ took this very text and applied it to Himself, you remember? He said He is the cornerstone over which people stumble, and He said, Blessed is the one who does not stumble on me. But they stumbled over the stumbling stone. You know, Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. He writes in Corinthians 1, to Jews, a stumbling block, to Gentiles, foolishness, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ, the power of God and the righteousness of God. You see, people will stumble over their need for Christ, particularly Israel did. But today, I could broaden that out and say, religionists tend to stumble over Christ, the stumbling stone, the one who says there's salvation in no one else. We must come to Him. People stumble at that. They don't want to hear that. Maybe you've been one who says, I can't accept that. That's too narrow. I remember I was talking to a Jewish friend of mine. And uh, he expressed real interest in learning more about what I was telling him about my Savior. And I was trying to show him. And we went through the book of Matthew together. And I remember explaining. And as I showed him passage after passage in Matthew, got him a Bible, and we were going through it together. And we had good time looking at, as it is written, this is fulfilled. Just this would be written. This happened as to fulfill what the prophet said. And we looked at prophecy after prophecy, but when we got to the key issue, and uh, there were several in Matthew, but one of the first ones, as it was written, Emmanuel. His name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. He cringed a bit, and when we came back to that again, I think in Matthew 21, where he said he's the cornerstone. And we, you know, we came back to this point of who the Lord Jesus really is. He looked at me and he said, Scott, he said, that's my stumbling stone right there. And I said, you know, the Bible said you'd say that. And he looked at me and I and we turned to Romans 9, verse 33, and read it. And I said, the Bible said you'd say that. But he said, I, I just can't get around that one. That bugs me. And he, he quit using the term stumbling stone. 
started telling me other things, you know. But he was honest the first time he spoke it. And you know, a lot of people, uh, Jew, Gentile alike, there's that self-righteousness that hates to admit that God's way is necessary, that God had to come to this earth and die in our place and rise again for our justification and wants to try to approach God through, verse 32, works. Self-righteousness of one way or another. To the Jews, stumbling block. To Gentiles, foolishness. But to us who are being saved, Christ, the power of God. Is He your Savior? You see, God is His arms out open wide to Jew, Gentile alike, who will believe in Him. To refuse His grace, to refuse His Son, is to refuse the only way of salvation. With this in your mind, look over at Acts 4, uh, when Peter stood up and proclaimed this. You know, when the authorities drugged Peter before them because he'd healed a man in the name of Jesus Christ... He stood before them, filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 8, and he said, rulers and elders of the people. He's speaking to Israelites. If we're on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. There's two kinds of people today. There's those saying, I'm going to approach God my way. I believe that God will accept me because it wouldn't be fair if he didn't. And they're arguing with God and they're going to come to God on their own. And most people are in that category of one way or another. I've got a good religion. I like my religion. And they're bringing God their religion. Or I've tried to do my best. Or I believe as long as you do seek to do your best most of the time, then it'll be okay. Whatever. They're coming to God through their own merit. And then there are those who come as broken-hearted ones who come and found their life on the rock, the cornerstone. The one who's, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Which way is it for you? Jesus said, most people are on the broad road. Sounds good to people. There's a way that seems right in man's eyes, but it's the way of death, the Scripture says. Most people are on the broad road that leads to destruction. He said, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. God had to send His Son to this earth to provide redemption, and He did. And He offers that gospel, that good news to you today. And I look at the last verse of Romans 9 and reiterate it. Don't stumble over him. Don't treat him as a rock of offense, but realize he's the cornerstone of what God is doing, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Now, having said that, let me just, uh, I'd like to draw through four, five, six, seven or eight applications. I'll stop it. Uh, what do I have here? I want to I want to I want to draw some applications from this whole chapter because I think it's so important 
and uh, we need to, to realize that. First of all, don't take any comfort in being part of the visible church. Israelite after Israelite said, well, I'm an Israelite. Person after person says, well, I'm a Christian. I'm part of this church or I'm part of that church or I go to this denomination or whatever. Don't take any comfort in being a part of this visible church. You're standing before God has nothing to do with what label you call yourself. Don't take any comfort in being part of Christian religion. Secondly, don't worry if your background has no religion. Maybe you're here and you say, I don't know the first thing about most of what you're talking about. I've never had any instruction. Listen, look at verse 25. I'm going to call those who are not my people, my people. I'm going to say to those who are not beloved, beloved, the door is wide open today. And you know what? Many in this room would say, I came from no background and I've found Jesus Christ. Don't worry if you don't have any religious background. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. Third, and I want you to think on this one, bad doctrine, error in teaching. Doctrine just means teaching. Bad teaching is oftentimes harder to overcome than bad sin. The tax gatherers and harlots are going to get in before you, Jesus said, to religious ones who are stuck on their way of righteousness. And you know, that's been true in my experience. I sometimes find it much easier to reach someone who's a sinner and knows it than a religionist who's continually clinging to the idea that you can earn merit before God. Why did Israel miss it? Because they stumbled. They came to God as if they could come on works rather than by His grace. Don't, fourthly, despise God's grace by asserting your own way. And don't don't say that you're going to come this way or that way. You're spitting on God's way. You're despising the grace that He offers you at the cost of His Son. Don't treat the cross like foolishness, like the secularist does, or like a stumbling block like the religionist. Oh no, come to the cross. And by the way, the cross determines which camp you're in. Vessels of mercy love to hear about the cross and love to sing about the cross. Fifth, don't ever blame God for your lost condition. He who believes in Him will not be disappointed. He's laid in Zion a cornerstone, and if you'll come to Him, you'll be saved. Don't ever blame God for your lost condition. It won't wash, not now and not in eternity. And if I could turn that around, always praise God for your saved condition, Christian. Always praise Him. Never, obviously, take any credit. It doesn't depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. Oh, if anything else we can't see, we can see that in this chapter. God is the God of salvation. Praise His holy name for what He's done for us. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Israel's Unbelief, a message from our series, In the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today, or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. 
A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the Ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. We're thankful that you've chosen to listen to us on this station. And we invite you to downtownbible.org to download or listen to any past program or to subscribe to our daily podcast. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. Zeal or sincerity in any area of life isn't enough. In fact, somebody says, well, I don't know much, but I'm just going to trust it. And after all, I'm sincere. No, you better get to know. You better find out what the issue is. And you don't have to guess. God has given us a book. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. Paul knew a lot about misguided zeal. He said, I was more zealous than all my countrymen, and I was busy persecuting the church. He had been there. He knew what misguided zeal can do. So he said, I bear them witness they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. Zeal without knowledge. Very dangerous combination. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, Misdirected Zeal. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.